The Scooby Doo's and don't. 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 Hello, are you ready to rumba like the vacuum cleaner? Because this movie sucked. <laughs> It was amazing. Thank you. Thank what you. a way to open our season two premiere. I know. I wanted to start off strong. Speaking of strong and structured, Shiv has now switched to wearing a top hat instead of a cowboy hat, as I'm sure all of you listening at home or wherever you listen to <laughs> us can tell. Of course, they'll be able to hear it in my voice. I'm much more refined now. I'm a gentleman. So this week we decided to start with a bang and watch Scoob. And I have to say, if you're expecting a glowing review, <laughs> you will be disappointed. You sure will. Thanks. Because... I had low expectations for this movie going in, but that movie tripped over those expectations, face-planted, and then tunneled to the centre of the earth. Like Scooby did at the end of Curse of the Lake Monster. Yes, exactly. Which is a distinctly better film than this one. (laughs) Which is saying a lot. But before we get into that, it's been a while since we recorded How Are You? I'm good. How are you? I am good. I recently hired someone from the internet to bully me for money (laughs) because I was having problems with procrastination. So I found this girl who charged me $5 for a personalized bullying video where she told me to do my assignment or she was going to kick my ass. And I gotta say, it was very motivating. It worked. Her name is Phoebe. I think if you require those kind of services i would definitely recommend do you think that richard suckle who is the producer of both scooby-doo spooky island and scoob the film we're reviewing today would pay us five dollars if he listens to our podcast and we bully him i think he would probably make us pay him five (laughs) dollars he seems like a sensitive man i must say so right before we dive in you may have noticed that we now have slick beautiful new cover art of the two of us (laughs) and thank you to chris for making that happen. Yeah, it's beautiful. We love it. Thank you, Chris. Okay, so diving in. Shib has very kindly volunteered (laughs) to provide a summary for this film that we watched not 45 minutes ago. I'm going to attempt it, but to be honest, I found it very hard to follow. So the premise of this movie is yet another origin story, which centers around superheroes and a a man with a curly moustache who's trying to steal a bunch of giant dog skulls from around the world and take advantage of Scooby's ancient Greek heritage to open up the gates of hell because there's gold in there and he wants gold and there's superheroes too um and Simon Cowell is there there are also dinosaurs. Oh, there are dinosaurs and cavemen, and um, yeah, at the end they um, save the day. That's my summary. This is great. <laughs> you did a good job. One thing as well that we just want to cover off before I dive into the actual summary of the film is that what is possibly the core of the plot. I'm not really sure, but I think what the core of the plot is, is that there are three parallel storylines about a man and his dog, and that there is Shaggy and Scooby, Blue Falcon, who's actually a guy called Brian, and his dog, whose name I already forgot, (laughs) and Dick Dastardly, and his dog, 
which I'm not sure is ever named. Uh, it is actually called Mutley. Oh my god. <laughs> we watched this less than an hour ago. As you can tell, it has not left a very big impression. <laughs> okay, so here we go. This is the official Wikipedia synopsis. A young Shaggy Rogers befriends and adopts a talking stray dog who he names Scooby Dooby Doo. First of all, Scooby's middle name is not Doobie, it's Cornelius. <laughs> it is a Scoobit Cornelius Doo. On Halloween night, Scooby-Doo and Shaggy meet three young detectives named Fred, Daphne and Velma before venturing into a haunted house. Inside, the kids encounter a ghost whom they capture in a mask as costume thief Mr. Rigby, who has stolen a lot of electronics from the local Walmart. Inspired by the experience, they decide to form a group, Mystery Inc., to solve mysteries together. Ten years later, Mr. Inc., spurred by Velma, decides to go into business with entrepreneur Simon Cowell as their principal investor. However, Cowell refuses to do any investing if Shaggy and Scooby are involved in the gang as he perceives them to be the team's weakest link. Incorrectly. <laughs> Later that night, Shaggy and Scooby are attacked at a Japanese fusion bowling alley and chased by a small robots, which are called Rottens, which was never mentioned in the film. <laughs> the pair are rescued by D.D. Sky's Dino Mutt, which must be the dog's name from that second <laughs> storyline I mentioned earlier, and masked superhero Blue Falcon, who was actually Hank Bryan. The robots are then revealed to belong to supervillain Dick Dastardly, who wants to capture Scooby as part of a plan involving the three skulls of Cerberus, a monster from Greek mythology. Meanwhile, Fred, Daphne, and Velma discover that Shaggy and Scooby are with Blue Falcon before Darcy captures them as well by posing as a pornographic <laughs> police woman that Fred is quite taken with. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> they escape with the help of one of the Rottens, which has a head that is shaped like a vacuum cleaner because mm -hmm. Dick Darcy says, you suck, and replaces its head with a handheld vacuum cleaner. They then make contact with Dee Dee by using an archaic World War II radio to hack into the Bluetooth of Dino Mutt, which is a robot cyborg dog. Velma explains that she and the others are being taken to Messick Mountain, where the final skull is located. The group then finds out Darcy's plan is to open the gates to the underworld in order to rescue his dog, Muttley, who is trapped during an attempt to steal the underworld's riches, which were placed there by Alexander the Great and his dog. Darcy needs Scooby-Doo because Scooby-Doo is the last living descendant of Alexander the Great's dog. <laughs> Blue Falcon, Scooby, Dee Dee and Dynamart arrive at Mesic Mountain and head underground to a hidden Mesozoic era island where there are cavemen and pterodactyls <laughs> and senient hammers. There they find the last skull being guarded by Captain Caveman. Following a gladiator-style battle, Fred and Shaggy arrive, but Fred is actually revealed to be dastardly in disguise as he steals the final skull. The Rottens then throw the real Fred, Daphne and Velma out of the airship and dastardly destroys the Falcon Fury. I'm really sorry, we're not even halfway through this. <laughs> oh Should we just... Like... I'm going to start speeding it up yeah. because yeah. this is like, quite complex to follow <laughs> along at home. Imagine <clears> like <throat> trying to follow along while watching the movie this is a children's movie and neither of us could keep up honestly i'm really impressed by whoever wrote this wikipedia synopsis because it's extremely detailed darcy then captured scooby and took him to athens after shaggy gave an inspiring speech everyone finally decided to work together to reconstruct the mystery machine in order to pursue dastardly arriving in athens at the parthenon darcy used the three skulls to open the gate to the underworld and attempted to use scooby's paw to open it what then happened is that they managed to hold Scooby's paw against the gate and open up the underworld 
Cerberus, which is a giant glowing green dog, which is somehow translucent, but also able to interact with the real world that's fighting everyone, and dastardly reunites with his dog, Muttley, and they <laughs> escape after stealing some of the treasure. While determining how to capture Cerberus, Velma discovers more of the mystery behind Scooby's ancestry and its connection to the underworld. With help from the rotten robots, Mystery Inc. and friends manage to trap Cerberus and put him back in the underworld. However, Shaggy needs to sacrifice himself in order to lock the gate. The gang realise that there is another exit which Scooby unlocks and Shaggy is then reunited with them approximately one minute after this happens. At some point, the mystery machine gets destroyed and Fred has a moment with his car, which is genuinely the most emotional scene in the entire film. I felt tears in my eyes. I did. <laughs> then they go back home to Venice Beach, California, where they unveil a new Mystery Inc. headquarters and celebrate him with Blue Falcon, Dynamite, and Dee Dee, who are DJing the event. They then give the gang an upgraded mystery machine, which Fred instantly falls in love with, before they all head off to solve another mystery together. What a mouthful. <laughs> yeah, we're already 10 minutes in. <laughs> that was just the summary of the movie. We hope you're still with us. <laughs> I genuinely struggled to stay with us for the whole movie. And here's the thing. I actually was skimming a lot of that. <laughs> there are so many other undercurrents to this film. Like, for example, Shaggy and Scooby have what can only be described as almost a friendship breakup, where mm. Shaggy is incredibly passive-aggressive to Scooby and his newfound ancestry, admittedly partially deserved. Mm -hmm. There's a 10-minute scene where they go through an abandoned theme park where they chase the gang around and Scooby and Dick Dastardly have an incredible standoff in a fun mirror house. There's just so much that happened in this film that I feel like I could spend half an hour just trying to describe what I saw. <laughs> like, Having been through this experience, I feel like I have very complex feelings towards this movie. Me too. And that it is a terrible film, but there are some incredible moments. There are. Like, it's one of those movies that show the full duality of man. Like, it is incredibly boring and hard to follow. And yet, there are some jokes in there, peppered through quite frequently, that are genuinely so funny. Yeah. And not only is it difficult to follow and confusing, but also mysteriously, utterly predictable. <laughs> it's true. How do they do it? What a combination. So I think the first thing that I want to talk about is the respect for source material and that there is none. There is none at all. It blatantly just writes over Scooby-Doo canon. It not just, it's not just writing over it, Shiv. It's <laughs> scribbling over it. It's pouring gasoline on it. <laughs> Stepping all over it in spiky shoes and then setting fire to it. No, you're totally right. Which really is quite a shock when you consider that one of the producers of Scooby-Doo Spooky Island was involved in this because he surely must know that Scooby-Doo is not an only child and he has quite an extensive family. The only bonus of this film, besides the hilarious jokes as Chib mentioned, is that it is strongly implied that Scrappy-Doo never only existed in this <laughs> yeah. universe. This is a parallel. 
parallel universe where Scrappy never existed and that is its one redeeming quality. So the other thing, which some of you may be aware of if you are big Scooby fanatics like us, is that this film actually underwent a lot of controversy before it came out because Matthew Lillard was extremely disappointed that he was not approached to voice Shaggy and the original voice actor who voiced Scooby literally died of a broken heart because he was not asked. It's true because he's been in every other incarnation of Scooby-Doo like all of them good bad ugly and now they just for no apparent reason replace him and he dies like gone exactly it's terrible and I think that um the replacements that they got for Shaggy and Scooby were incredibly underwhelming there is only one thing about Scooby's voice which I am actually appreciated this time and that is that he maliciously mispronounces Dick Dastardly's name as Rick, where he says Rick with a D. (laughs) Which means he is perfectly capable of pronouncing the D. He just doesn't want to. Exactly. It's an incredible moment. (laughs) And frankly, I wish that someone would make a highlights reel of this film. (laughs) That might make watching it a lot easier. Another thing that was not compliant, which we actually did discuss briefly earlier, is how Scooby is completely renamed. Because Scooby's name is Scoobit Cornelius Do. Do is his family name. He has a tree of family members. And yet it's implied that Shaggy just made up Scooby's entire name, first, last, and middle, on the spot. When that is just blatantly so untrue. Not only is it blatantly untrue, but another blatant disrespect is first of all, it's implied there, there are several problems that I have and I just I just need to list them now. First of all, he is described as being the last living descendant of Alexander the Great's dog. Scooby is a Great Dane. <laughs> <laughs> that would heavily imply that he's from Denmark. <laughs> Next. Next. Alexander the Great came from Macedonia, which is north of Greece. However, the opening to the underworld is in the Parthenon in Athens. Which is not even compliant to Greek mythology because the Parthenon was never the gateway to hell. No, it never was. (laughs) Another thing is that the beginning of the film takes place 10 years before the majority of the film. And having googled this, I actually know for a fact that Great Danes very rarely live longer than 10 years, which means that Scooby is on his last legs in this film. Honestly, this movie may mean the franchise is on his last legs. (laughs) I feel like another thing that I really dislike about this movie is the way in which Daphne and Velma are just complete shadows of themselves, Mm -hmm. and they don't really have any characterization of their own. There is only really one useful thing that Daphne does in this movie, and that is, as I briefly mentioned before, if you manage to actually follow the summary that I was reading, (laughs) which is extremely unlikely, (laughs) is that at one point, Dick Dastardly chooses one of the robots and then says, you are a sucker, viciously pulls off its head, throws its head into an incinerator, and then picks up a handheld vacuum and jams it on as a new head. However, the handheld vacuum has not been cleaned properly, because not only is this man a supervillain, but he also doesn't take the basic responsibility to take care of his appliances. (laughs) And it ends up, you know, sneezing dust everywhere. And what Daphne does is she coaxes the robot over to the prison cell in which the three of them are being held, and then empties its head into a conveniently placed trash can and gives it a little pat on the head. (laughs) And I can see how there's an argument in that 
um, you could say that this scene is reminiscent of the fact that women typically perform most of the domestic tasks mm. in the home and the real value of these tasks is often severely underestimated, particularly by men. However, any undertones which were meant to imply that didn't really come through for me and all I saw is Daphne house cleaning mm. the villain's ship. Yeah. I think as well, Velma is just nothing in this film. In fact, in some ways, you could say that Velma is the antagonist because it was her idea to bring Simon Cowell on board. (laughs) Do you want to know how many times Simon Cowell is referenced in this film? I would like to know. Five times. (laughs) This movie, while I was looking at the synopsis on Wikipedia, I saw that it spent a long time in limbo and that production began in 2014, but didn't actually complete until 2019. And then the film was released in 2020. However, Simon Cowell wasn't relevant in 2014 either. No, and putting someone who is already on his way out of the spotlight in the movie is just going to age it so quickly. Like, it already feels aged. Exactly. At the very end of the film, Dick Dastardly, who has a bit of a reputation for being able to wear hyper-realistic masks, one of the only things in the film which is true to Scooby-Doo lore. They pull off his face at the end and they reveal Simon <laughs> Jowl underneath the mask. And then they... And I just instantly believed that that could be true, that Simon Cowell could have actually been the bad guy all along. In fact, him being the villain makes more sense than Dick Dastardly being the villain, because at the beginning of the movie, he says that Shaggy and Scooby don't belong in the team because they are the weakest links. So if he was the villain all along, he could have been like, there, I proved it. I proved that you belong in the gang. But no, then they pull off the mask again and it is Dick Dastardly underneath again. And he's like, oh man, no one ever guesses about the double mask. The thing is, I was willing to believe that it was Simon Cowell as well because the plotline involving Simon Cowell disapproving of Shaggy and Scooby was completely unresolved if he wasn't involved in the plot in some way. And then it turns out he wasn't. And then it was never talked about again. Speaking of toxic men... (laughs) I'd like to turn to Fred for a moment. In that, in this film, and I'm not really sure about my feelings on this, Fred is actually the most likable and genuinely good male character. (laughs) I would take it a step further and say he's probably the most likable character of all. I mean, he's the only one who doesn't seem to have any ulterior motives. Exactly. He's just stupid. (laughs) He's an ultimate himbo, and that's not something I would normally say about Fred, because... Well, he has never been the smart one. He has never been kind until now. Yeah, all he wants to do is include his friends and drive his beloved man. <laughs> Which is a surprisingly refreshing take on the character. I'll give him that. Yeah, Zachy Fron did a good job of making Fred likeable. I'll give him that. Yeah, if there's any positive thing to say about the movie, it's that I, I cared for Fred, which is not a task easily accomplished. I think that in saying that, the film did quite a interesting job of the three plot lines involving Shaggy and his dog, the superhero and his super dog, and the supervillain and his dog, which was kind of just there, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and that um, the superhero is the son of the original superhero who first took up the moniker of Blue Falcon, and his name is actually Brian. And Brian is obsessed with social media, even though he is in his 30s, which is clearly a very baited dink at Mm. millennials. (laughs) 
And the dog is Dino Mart, and Dino Mart is voiced by a middle-aged man, I think, and it's just clearly disapproving. And I liked that they had the superhero being the one who was just a childish, social media-obsessed... Man-baby. Man-baby, thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) Instead of Fred, because I don't feel that any Scooby-Doo movie is complete without a man-baby involved. (laughs) However, it was refreshing to see it be someone else. However, in saying that, I just don't feel like this feels like a Scooby-Doo movie. It doesn't, and having that many characters and plots completely overpowered it being a Scooby-Doo movie. Because Scooby-Doo, it could have been any other dog. And it would have made sense for it to be a different dog. It could have been any movie about a boy and his dog. Like, I'm not seeing the need for them to slap the Scooby-Doo name on it other than to take the Scooby clout to make big movie money. And this movie didn't even make big movie money because it came out bang smack in the middle of lockdown. That's true. (laughs) COVID-19 had one silver lining and it's that most people were not subjected to having to watch this movie in theatres. I had to see Cats in theatre though, so. I mean, I don't think that this was worse than Cats. Well, here's the thing. When it's funny that you bring up cats. <laughs> because when they first pull off the very first mask that Dick Dastardly is wearing and reveal that it's Simon Cowell, they're like, oh my god, what? You why were you doing this? And he was like, Thank you, I'm a very good actor. I actually paid Rum Tum Tugger in my secondary school production of Cats. It's the real line. I don't think that I had the creativity or intelligence to make that up on my own. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the two are forever interlinked, Cats 2019 and Scoob. Two very different yet very interwoven experiences. Yeah, and that one thing that we often associate with Cats is the terrifying CGI, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And this film, overall, the animation is what I can only describe as inoffensive, and that it's fine. There are some scenes which are ridiculously well animated. <laughs> However, there's one thing in this film which deeply unsettled me to my core. That's not true. There were lots of them. I want to walk that one back. There were lots of things in this film that deeply unsettled me to my core. But the thing which I disliked the most is that the care and detail that was applied to every single one of Shaggy's chin hairs and that they were all individually drawn. And I want to be clear to you, this movie did not have the budget to have individually (laughs) drawn hairs. All of their hair was just that typical kind of like cartoony animation style and that it's kind of like chunky and choppy. Mm -hmm. But Shaggy had like hundreds of individual (laughs) chin hairs on his head that would glow in the light and everything. Mm -hmm. And And I hated it. Not only that, another thing that I found really unsettling was how the gang have very, like, soft, doughy faces. That's just, like, the animation style. They don't have a lot of features. And then Simon Cowell shows up, and he is far too detailed for this world. Exactly. And the terrifying thing is, is that if they actually look at what Simon Cowell looks like in 2020, he now has a very soft, CGI, doughy, round face. (laughs) This may look more like Simon Cowell than Simon Cowell himself. Exactly. Which I, again, despise. (laughs) It was not necessary, and it felt like misplaced budget and use of time, to be quite honest. Yeah, I mean, I just want to get Richard Sackle's number because I just want to (laughs) talk. 
I think we should email him and try to get him on this podcast to justify his crimes. I think we should. Maybe that could be a mini-sode. We could put Dick Suckle on trial. Hopefully we do actually have the clout to get him (laughs) on board. Another thing that I do want to say, though, which just, again, about the film, kind of struck a strange chord with me in that, and I I don't know if I can blame Richard Suckle for this, or I just want to blame someone, is that that this film feels soulless, Mm. like we touched on. Like, it doesn't feel like a Scooby-Doo movie. And I think part of the reason for that is that it constantly feels like it is picking out various... 2000 2010 movies and trying to emulate the success of them and that we have kind of like weird despicable me vibes and that we have this villain who Mm -hmm. has these um little adorable robots as his minions which make like funny noises and like look really cute then we've also got up vibes and that the villain is really obsessed with dogs Mm. (laughs) and flies an airship yeah yeah and then as well as those two, what was the other movie Avengers. We Avengers, yes. Yeah. Because you can clearly tell that they're trying to set it up in a way where it's bringing in other Hanna-Barbera creations mm-hmm. and that you've got this like blue falcon and then his like sidekicks. And it just felt more like a superhero movie or like a Marvel movie than a Scooby-Doo movie to me. Exactly. It was, I think maybe they're trying to you know, target the audience with a smaller attention span. So they're trying to pack as much action into it. But it kind of had the opposite effect where it was actually really hard to follow because there were so many plot lines. And like, I'm a fully grown adult woman and my brain the whole time was just like playing little triangle chimes in my head because I I could not follow it. I couldn't stick my mind to it. There is actually one more movie that it reminded me of, and that is Ice Age 3. And that in Ice Age 3, they go through an icy mountain, which is what? Messick Mountain, the place of the final skull. There were three skulls they had to collect. I know that this is a lot of information. I'm trying really hard (laughs) to keep it somewhat logical for you to follow along. You're doing great. But um, they go into this, like, icy mountain, which is, like, full ice, and then there's, like, underneath the ice, there is an island which looks like the island from Incredibles and it has dinosaurs and cavemen on it and all I could think in my head is like Ice Age 3. More like Journey to the Center of the Earth. Yeah that's probably what Ice Age 3 is referencing isn't it? I'm just realizing that now. (laughs) I am not what you might call a film buff. (laughs) Oh there was just a lot going on. And if this doesn't make sense to you, that's because it it doesn't make sense. If no. that makes sense. You know? It doesn't make sense. <laughs> but it's not supposed to. I just want to flag as well in that there is one scene in this film where, like Shib says, there are genuinely some really clever jokes in there. Like at one point Dick Dastardly is going on his kind of like James Bondy villain speech to Scooby and he's like, I lost my dog. And Scooby's like, is he chipped? <laughs> Which is amazing. That's so funny. But there's one point where Blue Falcon has these so-called 
F-bombs attached <laughs> to his belt. And he picks one out and he's going to like throw it at the robots in order to distract them and escape. And him and Shaggy are kind of like hiding in this like overturned Ferris wheel cart. I'm not even going to try and explain the context. <laughs> but he throws it, but he accidentally ricochets it off the edge of the cart and it lands back in and they're throwing it back and forth. And if they had just gone, if they'd been ballsy and they decided to just take their PG-13 rating and drop a single fuck in there, <laughs> I, would be giving, I would be giving you a very different review tonight. <laughs> like, but they didn't. They played it safe and that has lost them very much favour with Trish, clearly. <laughs> it really has. This looks like there is no there is no parade for cowards in this town. <laughs> there is no parade for cowards. I like that. Thank you. But yeah, I just feel like this movie was confused and it didn't know what it was. Mm. I felt bamboozled and kind of robbed of my time and my sanity i feel extremely confused that the only emotional moment in the movie for me was fred being sad that the mystery machine had crashed and been destroyed and then taking the front hubcap of the mystery machine and using it as a shield to charge at severus with no other weapon which is the most classic kumbai move and it really <laughs> endeared me to fred yeah and i just I don't know how to feel about that. <laughs> These characters, for the most part, with the exception of Fred, felt so empty and soulless. It was like one of those nightmares where your mother is in the doorway, because she only looks like your mother. Inside is like alien worms or something, and they're actually just parading around in your mother's body. Like, that's how it felt to me. It's <laughs> terrifying. Thanks. <laughs> Yeah, this movie was like alien worms. It was like alien worms. In fact, it may be what at one point alien worms did show up and were a people part of the plot. I'll never know. I can't even remember a good majority of the characters' names. No, neither can I. But I think, in terms of looking towards rating this film, you may have noticed, normally what we try and do in this podcast, at least a little bit, is we do like a deep dive into an aspect of it. Like mm -hmm. we might talk about forced heteronormativity of Velma, or we might talk about the way in which female characters are consistently underwritten and underutilized. However, in this film, I feel like we've only been able to talk about the surface level confusion that the plot mm -hmm. has caused. And that's because if you try to look into the depth of this movie, you would hit your head and get a concussion because it's nothing. It's a kiddie pool and it's just concrete at the bottom. Mm -hmm. It is a really, really bleak kiddie pool in there. Yeah. That's all I can say. It's a bleak kiddie pool. Yeah. So in terms of rating, if you are ready. I think I am ready. What would, How many jinkies out of five would you give this film? I mean, this is really hard because there are some genuinely enjoyable moments in the film. However, I mentioned earlier as a throwaway comment that Simon Cowell appears in this movie five times. And he is effectively the sixth member of the gang <laughs> in terms of his integral importance to the film. So going on that five, six... Um, 
downward trajectory, I'm going to give this film minus 2,000 yen. <laughs> I love that. It follows so naturally. Oh, I have very mixed feelings here because on one hand, I genuinely went into this movie being like, remember, you are not the target audience. This is for children. Try and be positive. Don't be a hater for no reason. But once I got into it, I just couldn't help myself. The hater in me crawled out my throat like worms. <laughs> what is with you and worms? <laughs> I think they're cool. But anyway, so the things I liked, there were some very good jokes. And Fred was endearing. However, it doesn't make up for the fact that this movie was really hard to watch. And I'm going to have to give it a half junky out of five. That is your lowest score. It is my lowest score. And I don't even know if it was my least favourite movie, but I just... My mind feels wiped blank. I can't remember a single plot point anymore, and I think that justifies a half junky. I think it does. So if we've got a half junky and minus 10,000 junkies, that is an average <laughs> score of minus 9... 4,999.5 junkies. <laughs> Not our most glowing review. No, but a fitting start to season two. Yes, and I'm hoping that our jinkies will only go higher from here. Exactly. So next week, we are going to have to start looking at the animated films. Mm. Well, this actually was an animated film, so I take that back. We're yeah. already looking at animated films. But we're going to be starting to look at the classic TV Cartoon Network films of our youth. Mm, I'm very excited for that. Me too. I just hope that we can still find them online legally. Yeah. Some of them are from the 1980s. Please yeah. spare the world for us. Yeah. And I hope that you guys are as excited as we are for this. We've missed you so much. We really have. This has been such a fun episode. It really has. I mean, it was fun for us. I don't know about you guys. Yeah, if you're still listening, we're so glad to have you back. Yeah. And we will see you next time. See you then. Au revoir, little biscuit. <laughs>